0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 176. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuleman? I am not too bad. You? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, it's, we we did uh, what we normally do when we run out of ideas for this podcast. And we asked for viewers to send in suggestions. And we always have this irrational fear that we're going to get like three suggestions or three questions. And then Fuleman will put out a tweet or we'll discuss it and then... Uh, we are quickly disabused of that notion. We're like, oh, fuck, we have to answer all these questions. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone who responded. This Mm -hmm. is a wealth of material. We appreciate it. I tried to get everything that came in before the arbitrary deadline that I set that evening, which was me looking at the list and saying, oh, my God, this podcast is going to be 100 hours long. I believe there are 47 questions. A couple of them are consolidated because they touched on the same stuff, but People had stuff they wanted to ask, and by God, we're going to do our best to answer it. However, yes. despite our best intentions to devote this whole podcast only to the mailbag, and again, we're going to do a whole full up on that, something happened last night that we feel duty-bound to discuss.
0: Yeah, this is a, a, a change in that we're doing our bad take of the week segment at the start of the podcast and not, not at the end. Um, so, yesterday... Um, a member of hockey Twitter, whose account is locked so I'm not gonna read their their handle or their or say what their tweet said, but they basically just had a tweet that said that it's it's weird uh how many hockey people have kind of just sort of gotten into crypto in a way that is perhaps a little bit uh unethical in some sense or or a little bit questionable because of you know just the general level of controversy with
1: crypto mm-hmm
0: right is that is that a fair um
1: i think that's very generous yeah. <laughs> i think cryptocurrency is a, is a crock but yes go on yes so um in response
0: to that so i'm, I'm trying to find the exact tweet now so okay so yeah the original tweet which is basically just like it's weird how reporters are kind of flogging bitcoin which you know very controversial for environmental reasons and you know there's Questions about whether it makes sense economically, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I'm not a communist. I'm not going to comment on that. Um, but then Chris Johnson of the Toronto Star, of TSN, of the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, um, responded to this person curious if you've even spent 10 minutes understanding the most important development in human history or no. And as far as I can tell, this is entirely self serious. If it is not serious, then then we have gotten got.
1: But he's been quite pro-Bitcoin, which is the most prominent cryptocurrency, for a while. So if he's doing a bit, no pun intended, it's it's a pretty protracted one.
0: (laughs) It is. And didn't he write that article about Peter Holland in the Star? Uh, I was not sure. I didn't
1: click on it because I feel duty-bound not to support that because it was an advertorial by the look Mm -hmm. of it. So anyway... Um, I, I don't
0: know if he did that, so, but, uh, so yeah. I, if that's the case, I don't want to, like, <laughs> cash it. But anyways, the, the the point is, Chris Johnson intimated that Bitcoin is the most important development in human history. And I think this just
1: bears some discussion. Because it is not. No, you see, when you put something up as the most important development in human history, you're putting it up against things like wheels and agriculture, you actually had a running list that I thought covered some very yes, apt
0: cases. I think in, this would be riveting podcast content if I just read from this list. So I, I, was, I, I showed this to my partner and, and then I just went back and forth discussing things that are <laughs> inarguably more important than Bitcoin. And this doesn't even get into the ones where you could like argue. Okay. Right? I think all of these are unequivocal, unequivocally more important than Bitcoin or crypto. So the things that were included on this list... And, Fuliman, feel free to chime in on, on any of these. Huh. Um, fire. Very important. Wheel. Yep. Yeah. Um, basically, anything to do with agriculture. So, plows, domesticating animals, irrigation systems. Because, like, like, agriculture is how we move from hunter-gatherers to cities.
1: Without agriculture, nothing else happens. It's a precondition yeah. for any kind of higher civilization.
0: Yeah. So, I think that's important.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would say it's important.
0: Colonized. Yeah. Um, refrigeration, or really any sort of food preservation technique.
1: Oh, that's a life changer. I mean, that totally changes the game in terms of your ability to transport and store food. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, combustion engines. Cars. Quite helpful. Planes. Yep. Various other means of transportation. Antibiotics.
0: Nice to not die. I love not Um, dying. It's my favorite. Yeah. Anesthesia. Kind (laughs) of important for surgeries.
1: Yeah. (laughs) this is a side... Do you ever, like, just read anything that touches on what medicine was like before maybe 1850? Yeah. When it's like, it's a barber, and he's got a bowl and he's just gonna kind of gut you with whatever, and then put leeches on you. Yeah. So, yeah, I th- again, that that is a big step forward for me. I do not want to go under the knife without anesthesia.
0: Right. And then, I guess, like, I guess one of the funnier things about this is, like, what about literally any vaccine? We are in a pandemic. <laughs> And it's like only...
1: It's not like it hasn't come up lately.
0: Yeah, it's it's only mildly plausible that we've gotten, quote unquote, out of the pandemic, which is its own set of issues. But like, the only reason it's even somewhat plausible for us to have resumed human activity is with the idea that a lot of people are well protected.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to show my hand a little bit. I am not a huge believer in Bitcoin. I Mm. will spare you a long rant about it. Money is about trust. You have to trust that this thing is going to have value or you're not going to use it. That trust usually comes from the issuing government. Bitcoin, it comes from the fact that it's an artificial scarcity. But people still make off with Bitcoin in large numbers on a regular basis. So, who knows? Um, I think Bitcoin is mostly useful for a stock market gambling, which is lots of fun for you. And also money laundering and or buying illegal products. (laughs) Um... And so if that's where you're ranking it, I actually was like, I think I have Bitcoin below like sunglasses and like wool socks and like just sort of very ordinary things that are like uh, the
0: textile industry is generally, yeah.
1: you know, in, monster in energy to, drinks. They in, power in, fairness, this
0: podcast. <laughs> in fairness to Johnson, he did just say most important, right? So like, like nuclear weapons, you could argue are not like a net good for the world, but they're inarguably important.
1: That's true. That's very right?
0: true. Um, I'll run through the rest of this really fast. So we do have a lot of <laughs> other stuff to get to, but there was something that I was very proud of to put here.
1: Yep.
0: Um, pulleys and levers, important for building stuff.
1: Mm. Printing that, press, elemental. being able yep. to like,
0: the first ability to like, record, like write something and distribute something that wasn't just verbal. That's important. Um, I wrote here the entirety of calculus. Ooh.
1: And, you like, know, it, it's,
0: it's, just, it's just important.
1: Yeah, right? and you know what? Most of us don't even appreciate it, but you actually do.
0: Yeah. um, Microchips, which are in, like, everything now. Social media. Uh, Again, maybe not net positive, but, like, it's hard to argue that Bitcoin has been more impactful to the world than, like, Facebook.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, (laughs) I think you could argue that Facebook has been, in many ways, kind of disastrous, but still. Yes,
0: yeah. photography and videography, this is actually something we don't really appreciate enough, I think. So this list is maybe just appreciate how far we've come as, as a species. It's kind of cool that we can make a representation of what we see, what we perceive as sight, which is also kind of hard to describe. But we can, we can
1: make like, essentially a perfect representation of that and show it to people who are not present. I'm still, like, amazed when I start thinking about stuff that was current technology in, like, 1840. Mm. Like when they had, like, a lithograph or something, and I'm like, wow, they can put the shadows in that shape on the paper? I don't know how that works. I'm not even mm. trying to get up to whatever current technology is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um...
0: Oh, Austin Matthews.
1: <laughs> Important. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly more so than Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then the, the, the last couple I have, like, like corrective lenses, I'm biased to that. Cause I wear glasses mm. and I would be useless without corrective lenses. I would have like, if I was in the hunter gatherer days, I would have died. Cause I would have thought like a rock was a lion or it's, <laughs> or a lion was a rock and would have like tried to sleep on it or something. And it would have <laughs> eaten me. Um, and then, this is this is the one that I find funniest. Like, arguably, actual fiat money is not number one on the list,
1: and Bitcoin is a subset <laughs> of yeah. money. Yeah, I don't know, man. I and here's the thing: Chris Johnson is a good reporter. Yeah, no, no he, we're lying on, But he and, went and, way out over his skis on this one. Yeah, and by all accounts, Johnson's like a, a
0: nice, normal guy. Like he's done a lot of good charity stuff. He seems pretty reasonable. He doesn't peddle in bullshit. But, <laughs> but, but this is, this is just like a insane take. It is, it is, it is like one of the worst takes I've ever seen.
1: And this is what happens with Bitcoin is it's very hard to be like a casual Bitcoin guy now. And most of them, I have to say, are dudes for whatever reason. It, they say it, it. is
0: kind of interesting how gendered it is. I guess finance in general can be quite gendered, certainly in industry. But yeah. like as a hobby, Bitcoin is very, very gendered.
1: Yeah. But like, you know, and you, but, it's the true believers who, who weird me out. The people who, who seem to believe, as Chris Johnson apparently does, that this is going to revolutionize the whole face of the planet. I'm like, maybe hedge that a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Eh. Anyway, it was a really weird tweet. It was arguably not even the dumbest tweet on, on, on Twitter last night from a reporter. Yes. Because oh, God. Steve Simmons said, has an NHL player ever actually scored on a shot attempt? And, and there's the not answer even, to that it's is... It's hard to riff on that, because it's so... Well, well, the answer to that is, like,
0: I would estimate 95% of all goals. Yes, 95% of all goals have been on shot attempts. And the 5% that are not are passes that get deflected in. Yeah. Or, like, David Cobb, Jedi mind-tricking defenders.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, it's like classic Simmons, where it's something that's not that complicated, that he can't be bothered to understand, but he wants to be a prick about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, I was saying this, because it's Simmons, it's like, there's only so much fun to be had. Whereas the Johnson thing is just so, wow, really? You, you know, like it's just in this outer universe of scales of importance mm. that uh, it really stunned us. Anyway, we didn't feel we could pass that up, even yes, though this mailbag in, in, is going to be long.
0: Yeah, because in a, in a week, like that, this isn't going to be relevant anymore.
1: It is going to stay in my mind for a long time, but you yeah, know, we 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 couldn't do a segment on it any other time, so. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed Human History in 10 Minutes as referenced by a list that Arvin made and that I riffed on a little bit. Um, And now we're going to get to your mailbag questions, so thank you for your patience. Mm -hmm. Um, This first one, though, we are going to delay, not because it's a bad question at all, because it's a quite involved one. Um, Dom Leshishin at The Athletic wrote an article about heavy hockey and some of his findings that smaller quote-unquote less physical players actually did suffer a disproportionate decline in production when the playoffs came around and you know this is the the cliched thing that smaller guys won't be able to get it done when the game tightens up when there's more hitting yada 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 and dom's article seemed to find that it's possible there's some truth in that in some cases Mm -hmm. it's a pretty involved question and um i'm going to be honest When we do cover it, Arvin's going to take the lead on it because he's (laughs) better than me. But uh, we thought that it deserved a a bit more time than we're currently going to be able to give it in this podcast. So we're going to delay on that one. We're not ignoring it. Um, This was DM'd to us by a good pod friend of ours. It's just we want to give it the due attention it deserves. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Let's roll. Mm Mm-hmm. With the Leafs' recent ups and downs with goaltending, do you think this turnaround with Jack Campbell's game is just a blip that we can disregard with bright eyes? Because every now and then goalies fall apart by Jared of London. Jared is a longtime PPP commenter, and uh, it's I think... The
0: Wayne Gretzky of PPP comments.
1: Yeah, he has commented like 200,000 times. It's remarkable to me that he can do this. Um, I think what he's asking here, though, is like the, the phrasing was a bit backwards, but he's saying... Now that Jack Campbell has looked like himself again for a few games, can we disregard the fact that during the middle of the season, he looked like a Siv? Your thoughts?
0: Uh, no, mm-hmm. just because it's part of the data set, right? Like, we could just, we can throw it out just as much as we can throw out the idea like of him being, uh, of the time when he was really, really good, which I don't think any of us would want to do. Like, it's part of the universe of possible outcomes for him. Um, so I don't think we can just say, okay, yeah, like, it didn't happen. Like Maybe it gives you some confidence, like, okay... You know, maybe he was struggling with an injury right at the time. There might have been some external circumstance. And the, the default we can expect is better. I don't know if that's the case. Um, you know, it's relatively likely now the Leafs are going to face uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning mm-hmm. and Andre Vasilevsky in the first round. And I don't think there's really any way to spin that as us having even a goaltender wash. Like, I think that's a pretty notable goaltender disadvantage. Not so much because Campbell is bad, but because Vasilevsky is very good. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and I think one of the one of the great advantages of having a goaltender like Vasilevsky, and of course this can always be different in small samples, but you know the the great goaltenders you can be reasonably confident of in your projections of them, right? Like you knew what you were getting out of Henrik Lundqvist year after year, um, and you know Vasilevsky is similar in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I'm not that confident in Campbell, but also my projection of Campbell is not. I don't hold it with high uh, certainty. So basically, yeah. I think Campbell just like has higher variance right now. And that that could go you know either way when you compare him to Basilevski in a playoff series.
1: Yeah, and I think that's about the size of it. Look, goalies in general, very unpredictable. Even the greatest goalies can implode for a series. Even mediocre goalies can go on a heater. And mm-hmm. with Jack Campbell, I don't even know what he is because he's had such a wide swing in performances in this season. All we can say is we know he has it in him to play quite well and we have to hope that that's how things come up yep uh how many times in the cap era has the stanley cup been won by the best team that season this is tough to actually say you know it's how do you determine the best team and of course the classical answer is well the best team won the stanley cup so 100 percent of the time but Mm -hmm. i think we're a bit more skeptical of that what do you think
0: yeah, I mean, I, I did a, a oh, I should mention, like, because we got so many questions, I didn't do deep research into any individual question. Um, so this, this is like a very vibes check podcast on my end, right? So based on vibes alone and basically no other research, the ones that I had thought were the best teams at the time, like, in the year was Detroit 2008, Chicago 2010, Chicago 2013, Pittsburgh 2016, Tampa 2020.
1: Yeah, I think that's... And arguably
0: Tampa 2021. Yeah. I, I thought Colorado was probably better
1: last year. You can argue it. Um, yeah. Just to put a little bit of um, some kind of method on it, I try. you know, I looked at, first of all, the President's Trophy winner has won the Stanley Cup twice in the cap era, and that was Detroit in 2008 and Chicago in 2013.
0: Yeah, I think Detroit 2008, Chicago 2013 are, like, kind of the inarguable ones.
1: Yeah, very hard to dispute that. And, you know, both teams that were in the middle of massive runs, where they were terrific teams, um... Also, sometimes you get teams that win the President's Trophy in years around their cup win. Like Tampa Bay had it in 2019 and then won in 2020. Washington had it in 2017, won the next year. Um, so often, you know, what it is, is you have these very good teams that get in the top tier, hang around, and eventually your number comes up. Um, unless you're the San Jose Sharks, who will be much lamented. Um, it's hard to determine who the best team is once you get away from who finished first or who won the cup. Like, you can look at XG, but it doesn't capture everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I, I don't think the Carolina Hurricanes were the best team in hockey like a million times in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, that's oversimplifying it. But I, I, think, I think the actual best team maybe wins a third of the time or a quarter of the time. Yeah, something like that. But it's, it's almost always one of the best five. I would put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, how are you both doing from Super Maurice, Isn't this a nice question? Curious about us as people. I like that. Arvind, mm-hmm. how are you doing? I'm
0: all right. Yeah. Yeah. Busy.
1: I wrote the lyrics to Flagpole Up" by Harvey Danger, which are, I'm not sick, but I'm not well, and I'm so hot because I'm in hell. Make of that what you <laughs> would. Which players in the system play meaningful games for the Leafs next year from Sweetwater 1981? What do you think? Uh,
0: you go ahead, because I, I I have a pretty boring answer when it comes to this.
1: I think zero isn't out of the question, but right. one, two, three. And, you know, the possibilities are, as I see it, Nick Robertson, Alex Steves, Joey Anderson, or that Joseph Wall appears a bunch. I don't think any of the defensemen are coming in.
0: And... No, the Leafs are so kind of stacked up on defense, as is, especially if they end up re-signing Giordano
1: yeah like they just have too many bodies in the way and especially you know the emergence of Lilia Grin makes it very clear he's going to have a spot next year Mm -hmm. um and then you have these end end of the lineup forwards Robertson has been on a bit of a heater lately but you know it's hard to know what to expect from him and then Steves and Anderson are fourth line probably guys um Matthew Nyes could sign with Toronto once his year in college is done and appear in the playoffs So just as a heads up, if, you know, significant games means or meaningful games means in the playoffs, well, then he might be there, too. But Mm -hmm. I'm not actually counting on any emergence from the prospect pool to make a big difference next year. Also, if Joe Wall appears a bunch for us in net, that's not a good sign. No, it's
0: not. Um, I I said I think Robertson really has the best shot Mm -hmm. just because of his upside.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he can play a little bit higher up.
0: Yeah. He's had like a pretty cursed year with respect to um his injuries this year but
1: yeah but he's been coming on hot lately in the ahl it's so tough to know what to make of him Mm. because you know he he has such high energy he has a good shot he's he flashes the potential to be a real impact player and then i'm not sure if the all-around game is there so yeah which would be better as a playoff matchup for the Leafs? A great offensive team, a great defensive team, or a good all-around team? And this is from our colleague Hardev. Um That would seem to map sort of onto Florida, Boston, Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Um, it looks like we're getting the third one.
0: I mean, it doesn't map out perfectly against these. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Tampa Bay's kind of struggled recently to the point where uh, Boston and, and Florida are like mirrors mirrors of each other, or inverses of each other, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. And but their overall effectiveness does appear to be similar. Uh, in ter- at least in terms of five on five play, they just go about it in like completely opposite ways. Tampa Bay's just kind of struggled recently, right? But I think we all believe they're still a very good team, so I mean I I I guess I guess intellectually it doesn't or I guess in practice it might not actually matter, or at least there's I see no way to actually really assess whether it matters, but at least intellectually I sort of prefer the idea of facing a team that doesn't have something that they're just like the best in the world at.
1: Yes. If Tampa really is a good all around team now and not a great one anymore, them. But in the back of my head, my thought is the regular season means very little to them at this point. They will flip the Mm -hmm. switch. And so to to be fair to heart of, he didn't ask any specific names. I'm just sort of guessing. Um, Yeah. no,
0: It it, it just, it kind of, it's, it maps out. So, so nicely into what the Leafs are, are sort of facing.
1: Yeah. Um, Which individual player in the Eastern Conference do you fear most in the playoffs, and is their team also the one you'd least like to play? I wrote Patrice Bergeron and yes. <laughs> so, that fear does not die for me.
0: Yes, um, Bergeron was actually my immediate answer, too. For the sake of having a different one, I said a defensive defenseman. And I, I misread the question, I didn't see the Eastern Conference part of her, so I said, like, Jared Spurgeon or Charlie McAvoy, who unfortunately plays on the same team as Patrice Bergeron. <laughs>
1: I don't want um, to play Boston.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, well, Boston just worries me in the sense of they, it, it's really strength versus strength as it has been basically every time we play them, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, it, it takes just one or two games where they shut down the Matthews line and it things get really hairy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I just, the Boston series, and the truth is the Leafs could easily win a Boston series. They could have yes. won the most recent Boston series, the most recent couple of them they went to game sevens but it will be miserable like there will be games where you're like we can't generate anything and this sucks mm. and i just i would prefer not to do that again or at least if we have to endure it again let's do it against someone new yeah um who would win at a foot race arvind or fuleman this is from totally offside uh i'm not i'm not fast i'm not a good runner on a, like i have some stamina over distance but i am a tortoise I think you would outpace me. You're, okay. you're like, in, like younger and lighter than me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, who wins in a fist fight, Leifer I don't 84? think it's.
0: <laughs> I don't really think it would be described as a fight. Like it'd be <laughs> like that Alex Sem and Mark Stall fight. Like no one really won that.
1: Yeah. It would be the worst fight of all time. I yeah. I have not been in an actual fight since grade school. Um. So I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like, mean,
0: one scrap in high school which lasted. 30 seconds not even like wasn't even a scrap it was like a scrap and then we both realized hey this is dumb and stop
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's
0: like you know not i'm not a seasoned fighter by any stretch
1: yeah Arby and i are more in the lover than fighter category let's put it yeah that way. i'd say so um okay so this one's a bit more involved what's your favorite leafs goal play this year i love when you guys walk through great plays movement by movement thanks this is from bfog 14 Thank you. Um, we try our best. So I did, uh, if you'll bear with me here, I tried to break down a goal in some detail. Yeah,
0: go for it. Go for it.
1: Okay. So this was Matthew's 31st goal of the season. It was the second of the night, actually, and it was against the Carolina Hurricanes. And it was on February 7th. Uh, if you want to look it up, I recommend doing it on YouTube because the energy of the video is a bit glitchy in the first few seconds. Like it kind of jumps and you miss some of it. A um, couple notes here before we get started. The most dangerous play the Leafs have is Austin Matthews shooting off a lateral pass. Like a pass going across the offensive zone that he can just smoke. He will get it on net, usually in a dangerous location, very hard to stop. And so any play that can generate that is probably a good play. And I think it's also relevant here. This is actually a set play off a faceoff. The Hurricanes never touch the puck. And I think the fact that it's coming off the faceoff, discombobulates them a bit because they try to go man to man. You know, when you set up for a draw, everyone's, especially um, the defending team and the forwards, are sort of pushed into one part of the ice. And so you have to mark your guy and stay on top of him. Whereas you can't really cover an area in the same way that you do when everyone is spread out. And I think that that kind of leads to some weird stuff here. So set the stage. Matthews is taking a faceoff on the left side from Toronto's perspective in the hurricane zone. And it's late in the second period. Matthews wins the puck hard off the boards back to Riley at the left point. And Mitch Marner immediately turns back to the blue line. Now, he does this pretty much as soon as he sees Matthews has won it. So this looks like a set play. The interesting thing is Jacob Slavin, who's a defenseman and a very good one, chases Marner all the way up to the top of the zone. And I think it's because Slavin has marked Marner as his man. He says, I've got to follow him wherever off this draw but the result is that he gets drawn way away from the net, which is not something you typically see from a very good defensive defenseman. Um, Marner gets back up there. Riley passes to him across the top of the zone, and then Marner passes it right back. It's a give and go for Riley. The result of that is that Riley bypasses the forward who's coming at him, which is Seth Jarvis. Um, meanwhile, Austin Matthews is, in, is around the circle where he's just won the faceoff. He's being marked by Vincent Trocek. And he sort of drifts into the high slot. And Vincent Trocek doesn't even really play this badly. Like he just kind of holds off him for a little bit because he sees he's drifting away from the net. And I think he looks up and sees Slavin is already gone. He says, I'd better stay close to the low slot. He realizes about like half a second later, oh shit, that's Austin Matthews. I got to get back on him. And it's already too late. Riley is on the boards. He throws a pass to Matthews in the high slot. Matthews one times it, and it's in the top corner. It's so interesting to me that they have this play that they execute really quickly, and all it has to do is open a passing lane to Matthews for half of one second, and that's it. Um, And it's a really clever little set play because I really do think the fact that um, Slavin is deciding to glue himself to Marner and Marner just bolts for the top of the zone it throws the Hurricanes off just enough to open that lane. So anyway, right. I thought that goal was really cool. If you watch this on the video, this happens in four seconds. It's
0: really yeah. fast. I think that's that's the kind of really... When hockey is at its best, that's a really fun thing to see about it because it, it just forces... It's so fast, mm-hmm. right? And all you need to do as an offensive team, I say all you need to do is if it's not incredibly hard, mm-hmm. is just make one guy move up, just make it, him be a little bit suboptimal and you can take advantage of that. And most of the time you don't, but when you can, it, and when you do, it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and this is one of those goals that looked like so picture perfect and exactly how they drew it up. It was, it was cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I chose, and mine will be faster because I think there's a lot less to analyze it, and it's definitely aided by recency bias, is the Spezza goal against the Flyers where he, he Giordano, and Simmons combine. Mm. And there isn't really that much to analyze, right? There's just a neutral zone turnover um, that gets Yandel, or sorry, that gets Simmons in on Yandel one-on-one. Uh, and Yandel, in what I'm going to call a technical term, eats shit and dies, um, just like face plants. And that effectively makes it a 2 on o because Spetsa will get past a stranded and flat-footed um, Noah Cates, who's Yandel's defense partner. And Cates, you know, sort of understandably did not expect his partner to get swaddled into the crust of the earth. Um <laughs> So then it's a 2 on 0. Giordano and Simon or Spetzler, rather, uh, make, make good on that. Uh, maybe Mitch Barner <laughs> can learn from that, that 2 on 0 uh, technique of just pass the puck maybe one less time than you think you have to.
1: Mm, yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, it, it, it was a nice goal.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, that, that's a fun one. I have to say, everyone, like Keith Yandel eventually got scratched. And so his mm. Man streak was broken and everyone was like, oh, that's pretty rough. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But also it's like Yandel hasn't really been an NHL caliber defenseman for yeah. a
0: while. I, I'm, I'll be happy that Kessel takes it because like as much as, you know, you can crap on Kessel for his terrible defense and stuff like that, like he is and will have been an NHL caliber forward for that entire
1: time. Yeah. Like he's always worth playing. Whereas Yandel, there came a point where the streak was keeping him in the lineup. So yeah. Yeah. Um if you could each pick one skater from Leaf's history to add to this team from the playoff run, who would it be and why? Alex Goshen, we had the same answer on this, but I think it's the right answer. You wanna go? Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. You can't beat Mats.
0: Yeah, I think i I mean, if you wanted to I guess there's a couple ways this question could go. Like are we just transporting that person from that time period to now, like and as they were, or are we assuming, okay, it's, like, kind of that player of, with the same, like, relative ability, right? So, like, because if it's the latter, you could say, okay, well, Charlie Conacher or something,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? Because, you know, one of the best players of all time, like Daryl Sitter, uh, Sitter, rather, um, or or anything like that. So that, but, like, I think I took this to mean as, you know, you just kind of get the player as is, right? And, like, you give them maybe some allowance, like, they get modern skates and modern sticks and stuff like that. So like Sundin wasn't too far in the past that you that he would be like completely unable to, to perform like his last year was well like in the in the late 2000s he was still a good player at that point. so yeah. he, he, he'd still be helpful. You could maybe go with Gilmore mm-hmm. for his defensive ability, right You could say he is the best possible version of like like we have a a very luxury version of David Kampf at this point like we're going to use him defensively, but he, he's obviously incredibly skilled.
1: Yeah, and, you know, at his best, Gilmore was also a prestige scorer. So, yeah, I think that there's a real argument there, and there's a particular generation of Leaf fans that would say it's Gilmore, and I don't understand why you're even questioning it. But mm-hmm. Mats was such a perfect all-around center. You know, he was big, he could operate under pressure, he could make hay even with pretty middling wingers, and he could absolutely kill if you gave him a good one, like that year that he had um, late prime Alex McGilney. You know, I think that he would slot in very well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I mean, <laughs> if we've slot him in for David Kampf, I think that's just dandy. So, Matt's forever. Yeah.
0: I think you can make a hipster choice for uh, Salming. mm mm-hmm. um, It would be kind of fun uh, just to, to see the Leafs' best six defensemen all being left shots. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, <laughs> you, you know, just as an aside... The left-right shot thing, which I think we can agree is useful. Like, it's good to have mm. natural sides, all things being equal. But for a lot of the Leafs' playoff runs in the early 2000s, they just had a ton of left shots and they didn't care. Mm. You know, they would have maybe one right defenseman um, playing natural side. Uh, yeah, also, as one parting note, Borya Salming, at age 70, would still be the toughest person on the ice. If yeah. you look at him, he looks like a goddamn ant. He is a tough guy. Mm, very. Uh, who are the 1-8 to D-men? And why do people not like admiring that hockey is a random high-variant sport? So I try to put the defensemen in order of approximate rank in the eyes of the team. My best guess? Number 1, Riley. 2, Brody. 3, Muzzin. 4, Giordano. 5, Justin Hall. 6, Rasmus Sandin. 7, Timothy Liljegren. And 8, Ilya Lyabushkin.
0: Um, yeah, I think 7 and 8 are pretty close to a tie.
1: Yes, and I also will add that in terms of future hopes of the organization, Sandine gets higher on the list. But mm-hmm. there, there's like a, a pretty vocal contingent of the fan base that just hates Justin Hall right now, and I'm like, okay, but the team is going to play him, and it's
0: yeah, and he's had, and he, okay, we we talked about this a few pods yeah. ago, but he had a, he had a reasonable year, he's yeah. had a reasonable year, I
1: thought. Yeah, like he's fine. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway. Like, to be clear, I'm not saying he's perfect. I think he's a fifth defenseman. But just, like, some people are kind of, I think, delusional about how he's going to be disposed of. And I'm like, you realize he plays a ton of minutes. He is a first-unit PK guy. He is trusted by Keefe way more than, say, Laya Bushkin. Like, he's going to play. Yeah. yeah. It's actually interesting.
0: And the the way the Leafs' defense injuries are kind of make it more unequivocal who plays in this lineup. Mm -hmm. But then it if slash when Muzzin and Sandine come back, it's a lot trickier because like, do you scratch Sandy or do you scratch Louie Grinn and Lyubushkin in that case? Or do you keep it going with, with one or both of them?
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that they've both impressed lightly. Leibushkin's stats have been a bit up and down, but I think he's been good. And I think they like the element that he brings. Right. Um, and he, he
0: played with, I think Riley mm-hmm. uh, in Florida yesterday and I thought he was fine.
1: Yeah, I, like I think he's a good player. Um, mm. I think he's useful, and I'm glad we have him. And and especially if you believe in playoffs and physical hockey, he adds more of that than than some of the other options. So. Uh, yeah. Anyway, as for the variance question, in the end, no one likes watching dice. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh. Do you guys feel safe attending the upcoming Maple Leaf Stanley Cup parade, given the spike in COVID cases throughout the province? Should masks be mandatory at the parade? But This is from Michael Zanette. This is such an interesting mix of optimism and pessimism, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not super fussed on my own account. I'm vaccinated. I've had COVID. I'm relatively healthy. It's outdoors. Meh. Like, I, I you know, my concern about COVID at this point is for people close to me who are you know might be more vulnerable to it and Mm. take measures in that regard that said you know at the parade well i'll let you say your own answer but i think it was a very salient point as to yeah Yeah.
0: i mean given that it's it's outdoors it'll be in the summer um you know so it's summer in toronto it's going to be hot people are going to want to be hydrated and like the average bac of a leafs uh, stanley cup parade will be like 0.15 yeah, <laughs> I I think you know I I I don't think masks are that helpful, and I don't think people would wear them in that case.
1: Yeah. So I
0: should say I don't think masks are that helpful in that context. Masks are very helpful generally. Yeah.
1: I want to be very this clear. This is about a pro that. mask yeah. podcast in general, but yeah, like in this, you know, it's not going to happen. So whatever. Yeah. Um, who is the most wholesome NHL player from Tallahastler? I I mean it's a freebie, but I said Jack Campbell.
0: Yeah, I've, I've wanted to go with the non-leaf, but I don't really know non-leafs well enough to really say. I, I mean, I don't know. Joel Erickson X seems like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Probably calls his mom regularly, you know. <laughs> so, it, It's definitely not Connor McDavid who did not invite his mom to the NHL Award ceremony like Austin Matthews did.
1: You have to wonder if he's a good son. An yeah, good you have son.
0: to wonder if he even likes his mom.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just asking the question. And you have to think yep. it, uh, it means that he shouldn't win the Hart Trophy. Yeah, Matthews. do
0: we do we want the heart Trophy to go to someone who doesn't like their mom?
1: What are we saying as an organization, as a league, as a people, if we don't award uh, a beloved son like Austin Matthews? Um, exactly. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't actually know who truly is wholesome, because so much of this is like public perception from a distance. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if there's anything else we've learned in the last 15 years, it's that a lot of people who present well in public may not be as lovable as we hope, but... I'm going to choose to believe in Jack Campbell. Mm -hmm. When will the Leafs get a player like Tim Stutzla from Six Sports Dark?
0: I mean... Yeah, there's like... I think this is like a kind of a a joke um, question in the sense of there's been like some Sens fans who have been like bragging about like how good Stutzla is. And it's like, oh man, the Leafs wish they had a player like this. It's like, I mean, he's a good good player, but like... eh, I, I'm still very
1: much in the phase of the centers like, of
0: looking at the centers and being like, oh, that's cute.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, but the Leafs had a season where they had three rookies who were performing at least as well as Dutzler has this year. And Matthews was already very clearly going to outclass him. It, the Leafs have the likely Hart
0: Trophy winner this year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, you can shit on the Leafs for so many things, but not having elite players is not one of them at this point.
1: Yeah, or like, cool young players. Like, I hate to tell you that, but we got real lucky with that one. The playoffs, we've been fucked, but that's a different thing. And to be clear, mm-hmm. Stutzla is a good young player. I don't begrudge Ottawa being happy about him, being protected. Oh, they yeah, should. Yeah, they should, they should be psyched. He's, he's cool, and he's going to be good for them for a while, I think. Um, and, you know, maybe he'll he'll make it to the top tier. He's only 20, so... Um, he's
0: a, and he's had a good year.
1: Yeah, he has. You know, he, and he's gotten to this thing about, you know, Brennan Gallagher called him a diver. I don't know. Like, maybe he embellishes a little, but I'm going to be honest. Every single team has players that embellish. Mm-hmm. Every single team always has. And if you think your team doesn't, you are kidding yourself. There are... Michael Bunting has
0: never died. What are you
1: talking no, about? Uh, well, no, okay. I meant except us. It, it's weird how we've never had one. But other yeah. players...
0: <laughs> other teams do, though.
1: Yeah. But, you, you know, every now and then there'll be something that's really egregious, and you'll think, okay, that's that's a bit much. But I, I don't know. I think is a fine player, and I don't have anything personal against him. Mm-hmm. Um, which Austin Matthews look do you prefer, mustache or clean-shaven? And do you think you will ever see him with a full beard? Um, I think his mustache looks horrible, but it seems to have empowered him. So, mm-hmm. you know,
0: I, I, I meant, I, I'm like Stockholm syndrome to <laughs> thinking the mustache looks fine when it's it, like, I, I agree. It, it kind of, it's a weird look in objective sense. And it's like when you look at him at first, it's a like kind of jarring.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then I'm just so used to it now that it looks really weird when he doesn't have it.
1: Yeah. Like he's kind of, he sort of tricked all of us into being like, that's how it's actually supposed to look. Yeah. Um, as for the full beard, I believe in a playoff beard, and I believe that the Leafs will someday make a playoff run. Maybe even this year. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, you guys always talk about how the goal for the Leafs should be being a great team or a true contender and not simply a good team. Considering they are third in points percentage and fairly strong analytically, is this year's Leafs team a great team slash contender?
0: I mean, I think if it was any other team not named Toronto, we would say, yes, they are.
1: Yeah. I, I, I said, if they get adequate goaltending and they have significant players healthy, yes. And the goaltending is the big question mark, because if you have sub 900 goaltending, you will never be a contender. But if Campbell plays like he can, they can stand up against anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the most insufferable way you can foresee yourself behaving if the Leafs actually do the thing? Uh uh-huh. you had a modest answer for this one. You're you're a strange yeah. person.
0: Yeah, well I, I don't think it
1: drastically changes
0: my like I'll be happy. Yeah. Right? And like I'll I guess like I'll spend a lot of time on YouTube watching various videos of Leaf's scoring goals and winning the cup and whatever. But I don't I don't think it changes my behavior that drastically, honestly. Part of that is I'm in the US.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: So like j- there's just like not not that many people who care about hockey here relative to Canada. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I gotta be real with you. And this is a personal thing. I would probably bring up the year just sort of at random occasionally just to be a jerk. Because the thing that bothers me about the 1967 thing is not really that it's been, you know, 55 years or whatever. Lots of teams have long cop droughts. Some teams have never won it, whatever. It's that it's become one of those things that people who aren't funny use in lieu of a joke. Hmm. And... That shit sucks, man. And by the way, you can dunk on the Leafs and be really funny about it. And I've seen players from other God franchises. knows they give
0: you enough material.
1: It should Yeah, this should be a layup. And like to be yeah. clear, I've seen some really good <laughs> slams on the Leafs, I have to admit, uh, just in recent months. Saber's Kevin seems to make a point of it. I will take my vengeance on him soon, I promise. But uh, mm-hmm. the 1967 people who think that it's like, that's a joke in and of itself, it's like, man, you know, okay, but... You kind of suck. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would probably just be like, 2022. Um, yeah. What's your playoff game watching routine? Do you have any pregame superstitions? Arvin?
0: I don't have any superstitions, but I, I do this, like, honestly kind of psychotic thing <laughs> that is, I'm fully I'm not proud of this, okay? And I have been told by many people, including, my, you know, my brother, and, and you know, I have mentioned this to my partner as well, and they're, they're like, this is sort of dumb. But I sometimes get too nervous to watch a game.
1: Mm.
0: So instead, I'll just kind of like sit in my anxiety and I'll have like the NHL or NBA, if it's a basketball game, play-by-play open and it's like refreshing. So it's like really useless because it's just like (laughs) shot on goal by by (laughs) Austin Matthews or whatever. And I just sit there looking at that because I'm too nervous to act. Like I'll have the game on, but I'm just like, it's in the background, it's on mute. I'm not looking at it. So I I do that when it's like really nerve-wracking and... I think it's like, it's really stupid for a variety of reasons. One, like, I enjoy watching hockey. Like, it's just, I find it stressful, but I do enjoy watching hockey. Um, But also, like, this doesn't really alleviate the stress of it because I'm still thinking about it. I'm Mm -hmm. just not, I just don't have the picture in front of me. I just, it's like I'm absorbing very minute parts of the game.
1: I guess it turns it into like a slow drip instead of a torrent, which is. Yeah. Maybe better. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so. Yeah.
0: So it, it it's it's not, it's not a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Sometimes I just sit and stare at the screen like an insane person. I do have my mm. Yokaret jersey that I got randomly on a whim, at the start of the pandemic, and I think I'm gonna keep busting that out for the playoffs. I've done it before and it hasn't really worked, but neither has anything else. So yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um with Tristan Jerry out, what's the name of the mystery goalie that Pittsburgh will call upon to lead them to another cup alongside Mark Donk? That's from Wasp Film. Uh, I said Dan Blamp. Was that would be his name? <laughs> you
0: have bl- a real talent for these names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just silly noises that get stuck in my head. The actual answer appears to be Casey Smith, who, who they're going to play. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my heart, it's Dan Blamp. Yeah. Um, this is from a uh, friend of the podcast, Jake Beliefs. Kerfoot, and Mikhaev. Fuck one, marry one, kill one. Let's go. This is the classic middle school game of FMK. Um, I mean, I tried to interpret this sort of in a hockey-ish context. I also, you know, maybe we're also considering these people as potential romantic partners. We can do that Mm. too. Um, My answer is actually the same in both cases, so it kind (laughs) of works. Yeah. Um, I said I would marry Kerfoot. I think he's steady and has long-term potential, both, again, as a spouse and as a winger slash emergency center. I would say fuck Engvall because he is on a heater and also he's quite handsome. And I think Mikhaev, I'm sorry, he's leaving in free agency, so, you know, yeah. see you later. So I actually had basically
0: the same logic. The only other thing is, like, Kerfoot's like a... In terms of the spouse potential, Kerfoot's yeah. like a Harvard guy. I feel like I'd be able to, like... He might be a better conversationalist, which I think is important to me.
1: Yeah, you got to be able to communicate, right?
0: Right. Yeah, And like, I think the language barrier would be tough with, with Mikhaev.
1: That's true. You know, it's tough to have the bases. You know, then you're just remitted <laughs> to the, the physical intensity. And you know, as much as he's great on the shorthanded thing, maybe we want a little bit more. Yeah. Um, what lines would you run at forward and defense with and without a healthy Andre Kasha and Rasmus Sandin? Oof, okay, uh, do you want me to go through this? Do you want to go through this?
0: Yes, because mine were exactly. Okay. Yeah, so.
1: we, we had a consensus. So when healthy, and unfortunately Michael Bunting may or may not be, we'll see. Yes, yeah. So Bunting, Matthews, Marner for the first line. Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander for the second. Third is Engvall, Kampf, Mikheyev. And the fourth line is Blackwell, Spets, Simmons. If Kasha is healthy... Put him in at fourth line right wing. Swap out Wayne Simmons. Um, on defense, I had Riley Leibushkin, Brody Hall, and Jordan Lilligren. Um I don't feel great shuffling anyone out for Rasmus Sandin. Just because, one, he's another left shot. Two, it's after a long layoff. And three, I'm not sure the fit with Riley is perfect. Mm-hmm. There's an argument that just say, "Hey, just play your better players," and Sandine is a better player than Bushkin, I think. Yeah, but like I, I put him in tentatively and say, "Okay, I'm gonna run Riley Hall," something like, or sorry, Riley Brody, Sandine Hall, Giordano Liljegren. I don't feel great about it, but that's kind of where I I wound up. Any thoughts? Well, and
0: also with yeah. um, with Giordano and Liljegren taking up PP two spots, like, and and doing an okay job there. It, Part of Sandin's value becomes a little bit more mm-hmm. tenuous on this Leafs team. Yeah, like in the in the playoffs, because he's not as useful for special teams. Like though, because if you if you if you lose out, um, if you lose out having him there, you still have Jordano and 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 Ljogren.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also have to say, if Muzzin is healthy, they will play him. It's mm-hmm. it's now at the point where I'm like, I don't want to force that, because I think he's been playing through a lot, and I don't think there's any. Reasonable expectation you get him back at 100%, so...
0: Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, you, you don't want a guy jumping into a fast-moving river, which, would, which is what a Tampa series would be.
1: Yeah, like, I I kind of would be like, okay, unless he's really, for sure, as healthy as we can hope, I probably don't force Muzzin back in that lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of you get Amnesia, and also the Leafs disappear. Which team would you become fans of then? So...
0: Um, I think in my case, but just I'm going to be living in Philadelphia, so the obvious answer is the Flyers.
1: Mm-hmm. I said the Seattle Kraken. I have like a a commitment personality, like mm-hmm. you know those RPGs where you can romance other characters. I pick one and I marry them. goddammit. I don't mess around. <laughs> and so I would I would get in on the Seattle Kraken, and I would just be like, all right, we're we're riding this train wherever it goes. Yeah. So, uh, what do we think of Eric Schalgren? I personally have mixed feelings. Some games he's doing really well, but I still can't trust him. This is from Hockey Galdo. There was also a similar question from Stib70, so I put them together. Uh, and it was he was asking, should Chalgren be the backup next year? No, I don't think so.
0: I mean, with Chalgren, I think he's he's an okay third goalie. Mm-hmm. So there'll be times where when you have no expectations, he'll impress you because it's like, okay, yeah, this guy this guy he's making saves. He's not like having a 750. He might keep us in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you rely on him for an extended period of time, like he'll turn into a pumpkin. And that's just what their goalies are, right? Like mm-hmm. they're they're like the 60th to 75th best goalies in the league.
1: Yeah. I think Shalgren, he looks to me as if he has a bit of a steadiness about him in terms of, I feel like he plays at about his typical level most nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote that before he got shelled 8-1 by Tampa. Even then, I don't think, you know, I don't think that was necessarily on him. And
0: and five of them were, like, power play goals. And, you know, like, yeah, you could, you'd say, okay, the goalie should stop a couple, like, should be able to stop them in large samples. But, like,
1: you know. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like, this is the Schalgren experience. He'll kind of keep you hanging around most nights. He's not usually going to be terrible. But Mm -hmm. he's not an NHL caliber goalie, I don't think. And you should not be going into the season with him as your number two mm mm-hmm.
0: so C- certainly like i think you can maybe get away with it if you have a g- kind of gold-plated number one
1: yeah like a guy who's gonna play 60 70 games
0: but- like if you have vasilevsky and, and we, we said you know tampa was heading into the season with like a kind of crappy backup was it brian elliott yep um so but they've gone away with it more or less
1: mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i do think I would want someone else. Like if you come back next season with Campbell, you should have another guy, whether it's Morazek on a resurgence or more likely someone else. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, how much does it change the outlook of the team that they have a bunch of ELCs on the way instead of having to live in the bargain bin forever? Thinking about Nice, Abrazese, Robertson, Nimala, Steves, and Amaroff. Um so, so obviously not, with not much. Yeah. Um
0: well- if, if one of these, if, if these guys,
1: look, we're not prospect experts. Mm-hmm.
0: If one of these guys turns out to be really good, then yeah, it does. It absolutely does change things.
1: Yes. Don't knock the bargain bin would be my mm-hmm. starting point on this question. You have to remember you can get decent fourth line guys for under a million, which means there's not a huge difference between that and the ELC guys in cost. The only difference is that you sometimes have hope the prospect guys may make their way up the lineup, mm-hmm. but often they don't. And several of these players probably will not. Um, on defense, sometimes a third pair guy costs you a little bit more. So you, may be, you might save half a million there, which is, you know, it's better than nothing. But I don't anticipate that happening soon. And I have to say, every team has a list of prospects like this. Every yes. single team. And most of them are not going to be impact NHLers. Um, I would also like to exempt Rodion Amirov on this question. He has more important things going on, so we'll leave him aside. If one of them, you know, if Nyes or Aberzese or Robertson does turn into someone who plays in the top six on his ELC or while he's cost controlled, that does help. But that can also happen in the bargain bin. Look at Michael Bunting. He's making 850 k So, yeah. I I think the median outcome for any of these players is that, well, you called them Jags for just a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Robertson and I are the two that have, I think, potential to be more than that. Or, like, Mm. reasonable potential to be more than that. Of course, like, you know, Topi and Niemela might might boom, right? But that seems relatively unlikely.
1: Yeah, like there's like a one in whatever six or seven chance for each mm-hmm. of these guys, where it's like, oh wow, they turn into something. I'm thinking of Pierre Engvall. My expectations yeah. for him for him were very modest when he was drafted in the first couple of years, and he turned into a decent NHLer. Um. Top three rule or format changes you would make to improve the NHL if you were so empowered from grins above. Yours were pretty cool. I liked them.
0: Yeah, I mean, so these are the like kind of extreme, and I, I don't even know if I like all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just kind of want to see what they'd be like. Mm-hmm. So one is the gold plan for the draft lottery. Gold um, which plan, has been, gold plan. Yes. Gold plan. So right. for those who don't know, this is um, a team can, once a team is eliminated from the playoffs, they start accumulating points um, based on how many points they their, their team has after that date. And lottery standings, or even the, the the pick itself, I think the gold pen actually gets rid of the lottery. Um, the pick that they get corresponds to, like it's exactly in order of uh, how many wins you, or how many points you get after eliminated. Mm-hmm. So there's some, some people don't like this. They think it's a bit too convoluted. They think, you know, it might disadvantage some teams who are like in maybe like worse divisions um, because they might be mathematically alive for longer, even though they're just as bad. The way to get around that is you let teams declare themselves uh, as we're not going to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? And that means like even if they do make the playoffs,
1: they get skipped. They
0: they they cannot make it. So even if they go on like an absurd run and they make the playoffs, they 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 don't end up actually making the playoffs. Some people say to that, "Oh, teams are never going to do that," and I think that's their problem.
1: Yeah, and I think right? like, I, like, I think like, you would start seeing teams do it after, yeah, you know, a year. And or like, two.
0: I think you you get an interesting thing like Arizona might just be like okay, yeah, game one, we're not making the playoffs.
1: Yeah. We're,
0: we're just accumulating gold points the entire way.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, when right. I did it, I said you could only declare after the halfway point of the season, but mm-hmm. that's my personal preference. I really do not believe this plan is that complicated. It's just start, no. It just wins after a date. And yeah,
0: and the, the advantage is like teams still have an incentive to win. Fans still have an incentive to root for their teams. I can see some perverse disincentive where it's like you're rooting for them to get mathematically eliminated earlier. So you, like, root for losses in October and you root for wins in February or whatever. Yeah. But that's, I think that's mitigated if a team is, like, not cowardly and is willing to say, we're not making the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think it works. I know Micah McCurdy, and again, you can't really do it directly because you don't know how teams would respond if they got the chance. Yeah. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: he talked about, I think it was Buffalo is going to, would have gotten the first overall pick this year, followed by Montreal mm-hmm. and Arizona, which... Yeah. Is a totally reasonable outcome that the lottery could turn up, and you have teams with something to cheer for, and you might actually get um, fans excited instead of having to cheer for teams to lose. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, sorry, I'm a big evangelist for the gold plan, even though it'll never happen.
0: Yes. The other thing, this will never happen as well, but teams pick their first round matchups based on regular season success. So, I don't. I haven't thought of how this would interact with divisions, mm-hmm. but. I guess um, it, this makes more sense in a conference setup. So you, you go away with divisions, but you have conferences like one through one through eight, um, and the top team can just choose whatever other team they want in the conference to to pick. I guess in a divisional setup, you can say that like the winning team in each division can choose between the two and the three seed, or they can choose between um, like I guess any of the, the two teams in their division or either of the two wild cards, mm-hmm. right? And this will never happen because teams don't want to have like bulletin board material. But to that, I say, stop being cowards.
1: Yeah. Like, and the thing is, if you look at say Carolina, I think they would have a real incentive to pick someone um, besides Boston. Yeah. Who they're currently drawing. Um, if I were them, I'd pick the Rangers. So yeah, I think that that's interesting.
0: And then the last one, this is like by far the most extreme because it's the most, it relates to gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get rid of most faceoffs. I think there should be face-offs only to start a period after a goal or puck out of play in the neutral zone. In every other situation, you, you just choose uh, one team to give possession to based on how it happens. So like icing, you give the puck to the offensive team. All five offensive players line up in the offensive zone um, above the hash marks. The defensive players line up below the hash marks. Any formation you want. The puck can start with any offensive player. Blow a whistle,
1: game starts. Yeah, I mean, this would be interesting. I
0: actually, I, I, I am sick of face-off stats on Sportsnet. <laughs> I really want to get rid of them.
1: Yeah. Well, and this would do that. And I do think that there's potential for some really interesting set plays. Yeah. Out of this, like, it's not like you're you're removing the strategy that goes into how you start and positioning. I think you're really changing it up. So, it. I actually yeah, can't I, even I, imagine I, the changes this would involve. But. Hmm. Um, yes, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, m- mine were simpler. Uh, Three-on-three three overtime is 10 minutes in the regular season. I think that's pretty obvious. I- the shootout kind of sucks. Uh, I would go to the 3-2-1-0 system. I think that just makes more sense. Um, my third one was goaltenders are not allowed to play the puck outside the crease. And no one seems to agree with me on this one. But I firmly believe letting goaltenders play the puck doesn't do anyone any good. Except, like, it lets the teams kill plays. Like, and, play the puck or freeze the puck? What's up?
0: Play the puck or freeze the puck?
1: Play the puck at all. Okay. Um, like, and, like, I would like... You can design a zone where it's, like, they're allowed to freeze it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, this stuff where they go behind the net and they try and make a pass out, get rid of all that stuff. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're already semi-protected players. You can't body check them or something. Leave them out of it. And mm-hmm. if that means they have to wait for someone to come in and get a chance and then try a wraparound... Too bad um, we have coddled goalies too long in this league, and it's time for us to take a stand <laughs> yeah I, 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 i'm it, it, again it would be quite different yeah
0: I'm not like opposed to it uh, immediately, but yeah very diff- very different.
1: yeah to be clear, that one never seems to get much support when I trot it out so I'm kind of resigned mm-hmm. to it it'll never happen but 27 Anyone have any sense slash insider info as to why the Leafs second power play unit has gone with two defensemen? That's Mark Giordano and Timothy Lilligren lately. The results have looked good, but I kind of thought the two defensemen power play ship sailed a few years ago. That's from R4333. Um, um, yeah,
0: go ahead. Oh, so, uh, so you raised the point in, in, in our notes. Which was, I mean, the second power play unit plays for like the last 40 seconds of the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guarantees more or less that an actual defense pairing is out there. When the power play ends which is useful um potentially limits some some marginal bad outcomes uh when the when the where you're like stuck on stuck with four forwards on the ice or a forward doesn't get off in time and you're, you're playing suboptimal personnel when it gets back to five on five um the the other thing is and justin Bourne has talked about this where it's like yes in general four forward power plays are better than uh three forward power plays but that isn't always going to be the case for every single team mm-hmm. right and especially, like, if your second power play unit is out there, it's because your first power play unit hasn't done anything. So, you know, it, it, w- it, I, I would view it more negatively if we were building our power play around a, a 2D unit. But here, it's like, okay, we have this 2D unit that plays the end of a power play if we haven't done anything. Um, we can get an okay shot anytime we want because Lowy has an okay slapper. or uh, I think a pretty decent slapper. Um, I, don't, I don't hate it.
1: Yeah, I agree. The other thing, like, again, it's a big difference when it's the second power play unit. Like, the first one is, you know, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Riley. These are all guys you absolutely want playing tons of power play minutes. By the time we're looking at the fourth forward on PP2, who would presumably be playing over Liljegren or something, you know, like, we're looking at names like Kerfoot and Makaev and, you know, maybe Pierre Engvall. I think that there's a real question as to whether that's a big deal, mm-hmm. um, especially when you consider some of the other benefits that you just elucidated, so. Yep. Are you at all worried that if the Leafs actually do the thing, a giant wormhole will tear through our world and swallow all life? It seems to me that time-traveling agents are the reason we haven't won, and it must be for humankind's security. That's for Brown Bear Rick. Uh, yeah, but you know, at this point, maybe it's fine if the world yeah. gets consumed by a wormhole. You know,
0: we, I mean, we wouldn't have experienced the full power of the world's most impactful development in Bitcoin, but other than that, it seems <laughs> fine.
1: Well, I guess you can't have everything in the universe. Mm. Um, will they all go all the way with Jack Campbell, or will they tandem him with Eric shalgren from Danny Boy? If,
0: if shalgren plays playoff games, we're in trouble.
1: Yes. that means that, you things that means have Campbell gone is, badly.
0: It means either Campbell is injured or he's been really shit.
1: I yeah I think look if Campbell is healthy he is in the starter position which means he is guaranteed to play until he has two terrible games in a row.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um even then I think it would be a bit of a tough call and it's and like If you have
0: two terrible two terrible games in a row you're you're halfway to losing already.
1: Yeah like the situation where I'm envisioning us actually starting Eric Schalgren instead of Campbell is like The team is in an elimination position. Sheldon Keefe is out of answers. And he thinks, I've got to do something to change this up because Campbell has allowed 10 goals in the last two games. Or something like that. Like, Campbell is the starter until things go disastrously wrong. Um, This next one, which surprised me a little bit. Why is Austin Matthews so bad in three-on-three overtime? He always seems to get caught defensively on predictable plays like give-and-goes, etc., and is scored against from Grinder Mitch. Uh, with respect, Grinder Mitch, I don't think this is quite true. Um, now, I I did look at this um, before the game last night, uh, which I missed for the record. I was out at the, the movies, believe it or not. But this season, Matthews had three three-on-three three goals, four and four against. Career, he was eight and six, so he's actually above water. He's a good three-on-three three player. The thing about three-on-three is getting caught defensively happens to everyone because there's so much space every time you fail to score and you lose possession. Like, to take advantage of a chance, you have to push up at least two players ahead of the opposition. That means that there are at least two players behind you with only one defending player. That's why you end up in these 3v3 situations once um, possession opens up, where it's just rush, 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 back and forth. Mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the the game at at that point in time and i don't think that it's anything matthews is doing wrong i think he's a good 3v3 player
0: yeah it's also i don't care that much if he's not a great 3v3 player matters like once or like you know a handful of times a year Mm -hmm. and then not at all in the playoffs so it's whatever yeah I, i i agree i don't think he's a bad three on three player yeah he has some very notable three on three goals right so like I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. I just question the premise here.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, you know, certainly if you see a painful goal against and he's on the ice, I understand why that sticks in your head, but I don't think that's borne out. Mm-hmm. Um, which obscure depth forward from the Phil Kessel era stands out most in your mind? Joey Crab and Jared Smithson are the ones for me. That's from Pseudo Lindenberg. <laughs> oh, man. There have been some guys. Mm. This is Let's Remember Some Dudes. Uh, Brandon Cozen. Is always in my mind. He was 5'9 and he was really fast and he came out of the gate really hot one year. He tore up the KHL after that and I still kind of think in my heart that he could have been a useful scoring forward. Yeah, there's a world where he has like a, an NHL career. I feel like he does. I don't know. And I feel like sometimes, you know, size bias worked against him because he was, he was small, but he mm-hmm. was very quick. Um,
0: you know. Yeah. I, the first guy that came to my favorite was Jay McClement, but he's maybe not that obscure because like mm. he, he was a regular and he played for us for, for a little bit, and we overplayed the hell out of him at times. Yep. <laughs> um, the other one, like, I don't know, I actually, I actually had to go on Hockey Reference and look up other guys to be like, oh, did I remember that person? And the one that stood out to me is Joachim Lindstrom, and I had, could not tell you anything about his time in the Leafs.
1: I believe that was during the tank year. Mm. Um, there were some weird lineups towards the end of that. Like, I, I always remember Eric Brewer, who was a defenseman, Yes um was here for like six games, but one of them was his thousandth n h l game, so they did the silver stick ceremony, and like no one <laughs> the crowd was like, "I guess good for you, like nothing personal, but he played such a tiny fraction of his career with the leaves that mm-hmm. he made no impression, and even they interviewed him after and he was like, "Yeah, this is weird, <laughs> but um anyway, it was just a funny little event in open yeah. season. Has this season changed your opinion on the floors and ceilings of Ljubljana Engvall and Mikheyev? Um, Ljubljana most notably. Yeah, I mean Mikheyev,
0: It's Mikheyev, is it's kind of he's showing that it is possible in a year for him to to finish on mm-hmm. his chances, and I think that, that's the that's the biggest difference in terms of his, his upside this year. He's like he's actually scoring, especially off the rush. But his play driving has also been really good. So that, that's been genuinely impressive.
1: Yeah. I, I Grimm was the one that made the biggest impression on me. I thought he was likely to be a third pair defenseman at some point. Now that box is checked. He's doing mm-hmm. it. He's doing it well. That's established. So I guess in that sense, the floor is confirmed. I'm open to the possibility he's going to rise higher. I'm not sure of it, but I'm not ruling it out. And maybe I think there's a bit more of a chance than I once did. Mm. I, I still have a hard time knowing what to make of Lillegrin, because there's such a combination of limitations and yet real abilities and good results.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Engvall and Mikheyev, I think, are just sort of at the better side of their outcomes, as you said. You know, like, they're they're both finishing a bit now, but it's within the range of what we could have seen. It's just what it was before, to some extent, plus some some goals going in.
0: Mm.
1: Where will they drive the cars in Fast and Furious 45? From Pits 88. I said by this point, the Fast and the Furious saga will be a thousand miles deep into brand synergy and they will be driving the cars to Middle Earth to save hobbits.
0: I had like a more cynical view of this where it's like, it's going to be like Mars and it's going to feature like product placement for Tesla Mm -hmm. and an Elon Musk cameo. Uh, So it'll have like 12% on Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) and make four and a half billion dollars.
1: You're right. And I don't like it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that, that feels very plausible.
0: Mm hmm.
1: What should the NHL have actually done with the Coyotes? Like, lately, not back all the way in the 90s. And how funny would it be if they somehow made the playoffs while still playing in their 5000 Uh This was from a Twitter account called Laying Pipe. No comment. Um, <laughs> I think they should have relocated them. I'm sorry. Like, I, I just, I don't think that this is working. And it's, I think it's not worked for too long. But. Yeah,
0: it's, I don't know, I not I... I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, the 5,000-seat arena is just kind of... Silly. The prices for them are also... They also seem kind of expensive. Yeah. Um, based, based, I mean, maybe those will come down or, you know... like Yeah, maybe they're starting it off really high. But... Option A is really to, like, find an owner who isn't incompetent.
1: Yeah, that would help. But, I mean, the thing is... They've cycled through so many of them. And, you know, and yeah. you referenced this either they're getting the wrong people or the situation only attracts owners who are kind of shady right like if if you're if you're
0: you know a steady billionaire mm-hmm. you're a tech billionaire who is you know reasonable and, and as reasonable as a billionaire can be or whatever and like you're liquid and you're 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 not going to run this place with like a toxic work environment or whatever mm-hmm. you're you're probably looking for like a, i don't know an english soccer team or something or you're looking for an NBA team or an MLB team or something. And like, you know, the least attractive, uh, franchise in North America's fourth and arguably fifth, most popular sport is probably not super high on your list.
1: Yeah. Like if you get them, like look at all the mess you have to clean up where it's like, Mm -hmm. they're indebted to the hilt. They're in a bad situation. The team is not winning. They don't draw flies. They're in this weird arena dispute. like, Again, you would have to be so committed to building hockey in the desert for some ideological reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's pretty much exclusive to Gary Bettman at this point. So, yeah, yeah. Again, like I'm saying, relocate them to another situation because you might get an owner who is more serious about them. If you gave them a situation where they're more likely to succeed, because right now this is a mess. Mm. Um, Would be very funny if they made the playoffs. They're not going to, but it would be very funny (laughs) if they're in the playoffs. Um, How have the top Leafs performed relative to their contracts? Is Marner worth his contract now? Is Tavares as Muzzin? And if you had to rank on a performance-to-contract ratio, how would the team look? Um, Marner is on the edge of being worth his deal, and Tavares less so. But then you get in the question of, okay... Look at the circumstances. Like, Marner was paid mm-hmm. more than his comparables, which is the reason for the complaint. Tavares was signed as an unrestricted free agent. The expectation is you will overpay a bit there. So there are reasons for those prices being what they are or being disappointing.
0: Yeah, and as unfortunate and silly as it is, Marner, and to some extent Austin Matthews as well, will be viewed as worth their contract only when they have an unambiguously excellent playoff series that the Leafs win. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe, maybe maybe the Leafs don't have to win it. Like if they If they have, like eight points in seven games each and the Leafs lose in game seven or something like the blame probably shifts elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Tavares is clearly not worth $11 million on the ice now. And we've discussed this at length, but like the high salary that you give to free agents is because adding a lot of wins in a single roster spot without subtracting assets is really valuable, right? Mm -hmm. There's only so many ways you can do that. And in the context of like elite free agents, you can't just go to the elite free agent store and pick one off, right? They're, they're very supply constrained.
1: Yeah. And like, right. you know, even when we signed him, and if you listen to the podcast after we did sign him, we were jubilant, but we said, look, in the back half of this, he's not going to be worth his contract. And yes, yeah. now and we're in we the back half be, of the deal.
0: Yep. We knew it'd be ugly on the back end, even at the time. And we thought it'd be worth it because the Leafs would have kind of absurd center depth through the first few years, and that would surely carry us to some playoff series wins.
1: It would be insane if the team were simply to lose in the first round, despite all of this talent, I'm not mad. Why am I talking so loud? Um, yeah. Now, that said, when we say he's not worth his contract, this is a guy who still has 75 points.
0: Yeah, he's still, like, basically point per game. He has a 55% expected goals rate
1: Like th- th- this year.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, the the actual goals for and against have been rough, but... I think a lot of that is goaltending, and there is defensive weakness now mm-hmm. that wasn't there to the same extent in years past. But he—he's not a bad player by any stretch.
1: No, he's overpaid. You know, when we get into year six and year seven of this deal, it's possible this will be like a massive overpay. But as right. it is now, it's like it, it stings a bit. But this is this was recognized, and it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah, um, Muzzin is just. You know, sometimes you play the game of betting against injuries and sometimes you lose. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So if you rank the team by contract value, Michael Bunting runs away with it. Um, However much you think he's being carried by his line mates, he's worth a hell of a lot more than 850k.
0: Um,
1: This next one was uh, quite the lengthy question. And I will now quote it. It's very specific. Um, it's actually to the point where I didn't copy it into my notes the way I did for every single other question because it was just a screenshot. Yes. But, you know, I I am certainly committed to answering this whenever my laptop loads it. Oh, I can read it. Oh, I got it. Oh, okay.
0: Okay, yeah. So in the fourth verse of Young MC's 1989 classic hit single, Bust a Move, we are told that the individual to whom the song is directed has a best friend named Harry. Harry is brothers with Larry, who is getting married in five days. Larry has asked the subject of the song, his brother's best friend, to be his best man. Does this not bother you? Do you think that there's bad blood between Harry and Larry that for some reason didn't carry over to Harry's friends? Do you think that Larry considers the subject of the song to
1: be his best friend as well? Is Harry even a member of the wedding party? Now these are important questions. This gives us a lot to think about in terms of group dynamics. I think we can all imagine a combined friend group that develops a fracture between two people in the group where each remains friendly with the other people in the group, despite the awkwardness, but the two antagonists kind of can't reconcile. I think, you know, maybe what was really busted here was not so much a move, but the bond of fraternal affection.
0: Oh, very good. I don't have anything to add to that.
1: Much to think about.
0: (laughs) Much to think about.
1: Do you think Laya Bushkin is a scratch when everyone is healthy? This is from Jogan Wheeler. I said yes.
0: Short answer, yes.
1: Yeah. But uh, the only other but, thing like, I'll say is it's not like an ir- irrevocable scratch. Right.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. it's uh, he, he, He's a scratch, but he's not getting zero games.
1: Yeah. Like, a- after game one, depending on how things are gone, maybe he's back in for game two. He's a scratch to start, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh If you two were riding on a motorcycle with a sidecar, who's in the bike and who's in the sidecar? This is from old friend Alan. I said we're both too deferential and we would get in the sidecar.
0: Well, I, I'm like kind of scared of motorcycles. Yeah. They seem really dangerous. But I think the only thing worse than riding a motorcycle is being in the sidecar of a motorcycle because you are you're exposed to all the same danger, but you have way less control. So I'm, I'm definitely getting, I'm trying to get on the bike. I'm not, I don't want to be in the sidecar. That's like not a spot for me.
1: You know what? I have actually been working on trying to trust other people lately instead of trying to take care of things myself and Mm -hmm. just saying, I'm going to do this. This is what I can trust and done correctly. So this might be psychologically good for me where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust Arvin not to crash the motorcycle. By the way, just as someone who works in insurance, motorcycles are death machines. Don't drive them. Mm -hmm. Like I know that they look cool and shit, but like there are no mild motorcycle accidents. That's all I'm going to say. Um, If Tom Wilson was a free agent and wanted to play for the Leafs, would you sign him? And if so, at what price point would it be too much? I, okay. Look, he's a very effective player. He's a good player. He would contribute to the team's success. He would make them better. I don't want to sign him. Sorry. I see Capitals fans having to make excuses for why he dashed someone's brains out every eight games. And I'm like, this seems fucking joyless. Like, I watch hockey Mm -hmm. to have fun, not to sign up to be the defense attorney from some guy who runs around with his elbows up. And Mm -hmm. I've cheered for players who sometimes cross the line, you know, I'm thinking of Kadri or Tucker or whatever, but Wilson is so far beyond it where I'm like, I genuinely just don't want to be bothered with that shit. It would not be fun as a fan.
0: Yeah, that's sort of where I ended up as well. Um, And maybe I'm speaking a bit from a high horse here. Yeah. But look, the Leafs had dirty players before. Kadri and Komarov and Darcy Tucker, you know, you mentioned them. And I rooted for and liked all of those guys. I'd like to think there was some level of difference between that and what Wilson has done over the course of their career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, Kadri and Komarov, Komarov was more pest than dirty. He had some dirty plays. But, like, I think in each of those cases, it's like, it's not fun when they have a dirty play. Because it's like, yeah, that was dirty. I don't want, I don't want that to happen. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that that's not That's not a good thing. And I think, Leafs fans, like all other fans, are, are also kind of, they're hypocritical in this, where it's like, you know, someone else gets a, a bad hit, and they're, they're like, oh, yeah, so that was terrible, guys should be suspended. And then when the Leafs have a guy who has a bad hit, mm-hmm. Leafs fans, just like any other group, is like, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, they make excuses, basically. Yeah. And I don't want to fall into that trap, but I'd prefer we don't sign people like Tom Wilson.
1: Yeah. You know, just, and I don't like, sign tough players, by all means, but Wilson does cheap shit. I don't know. Like, yeah. he, he's a rat in the shape of a giant, and so he, mm. he doesn't get tagged the same way because he, he will fight over it, but... He, you know, yeah, it's dirty. he's a good fighter, too. Yeah, he is. Um, Replayoff hockey and player attrition. How do you rank team depth in the East? This Leafs iteration is probably the deepest yet. Compared to other teams, they look among the strongest up front, ND. Goal is probably the biggest question, but can still be considered okay depth. That's from Vert Similitude. Your thoughts, Arvind? Um...
0: I think we've talked we've alluded to this before, but I think Engvall and McKev scoring in particular has made the least depth the forward depth look way better than it was than we thought it was at the start of the year mm-hmm. um and David Kamp proving adept like we thought he might be underqualified for that third line center role um because you know his offense was completely non-existent and it, it mostly has been, and we weren't one hundred percent sure that he'd actually be able to successfully um, run a, a shutdown pairing mm-hmm. or a shutdown line and his offense has been a little bit better than advertised. Part of that is luck. He's he's shooting, and the team is scoring at a much higher rate with him on the ice than they did in basically any other um, season of his career. But primarily, like, his defensive impact has been, has been good and strong as well. So, like, having those three kind of be at the upper levels of what we could have expected for them has made the Leafs' depth look a lot better than I, at least I thought it was initially. Um, regarding other teams in the East, I think Florida is comfortably the deepest group of forwards. I don't think it's that close. I think the Leafs are pretty um, comfortably in that next group of teams that are that are sort of similarly, similarly deep uh, among forward options. The Leafs' defense is actually kind of absurdly deep when you look at it, right? There's like eight NHL-caliber options. Um, now, J- Jake Muzzin of last year would be like particularly amazing depth. Is Jake Muzzin this year? Is it injured slash rusty sandines So, like, injuries have kind of taken away that depth. But, like, if you look at the Leafs defense core, just the names and if you if they're relatively healthy, you think that's a pretty deep
1: defense core. Mm-hmm. I think, I have to be a bit of a parade runner here, there's a question of how much good depth actually does you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly that you have somewhat of a better chance of surviving injuries, but... The Leafs' defense already has the injuries. It has to survive, Muzz and Sandin. So we're kind of here. Um, you don't get bonus points for having more guys who are good in the press box. It's just that you'll survive injuries better, and like that's fine. Um, if the Leafs' big forwards start getting injured, they're in deep shit, as we found out last year against Montreal. In goal, I don't think the Leafs have useful depth at all. Mrazic is out until May and probably later, so I think he's out of consideration. Campbell is still a bit of a question mark, and then Schalgren is a third goalie. I think pretty much every other team can produce a a Caliber starter. So I like I'm glad to have some depth. It's better than nothing, and it means that we're you know, we can at least match up against other teams and feel okay about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I think strength is more important than depth. Um, Yeah, I agree. If and how would you change the award for the Masterson? Kind of random, but I think it sucks to debate who overcame the most by Conmen744. I mean, I get it. Yeah, it does feel weird. It feels
0: weird to rank tragic circumstances.
1: Yeah. Like, I get the desire to commemorate people who have proven resilient. Like, you know, you want to make a gesture or honor... Um, their resilience and stuff like that. I think maybe you could dispose of the nomination process where every team puts forward a guy, you know, cause half the time it's like you have a guy who overcame being bad for a year. And then you have him, comp- you know, supposedly in a nomination class against someone who came back from cancer. And that feels weird. I think if mm-hmm. you want to keep doing it, you could just have the, the league pick a guy and announce it. A lot of years, we kind of know who's going to win regardless. I don't think the nomination thing has to happen. Mm
0: -hmm. Agreed.
1: (laughs) Would you rather spend a whole day hanging out with your all-time favorite Leaf or get 10 minutes alone with Brian Burke where you can scream at him as much as you want? (laughs) From Javio Cruz. Um, So, I mean, I think I would probably (laughs) scream at Brian Burke. I have a lot of unresolved fury about him. Mm. Um. Yeah. and you mentioned, you know, I'm not sure like how much do you discuss with players, even you know.
0: Right. I yeah, I'm I'm
1: what what am I doing with this player for the whole day? I feel like that's a lot. a lot of time. I feel like it can be awkward. A whole day yeah, it's a lot. I mean there's there are, there are it, players I'd want to hear some thoughts from. They probably don't want to hang out with me. No. Be like, <laughs> they think these they, guys are they have better things to asking do. Asking me nerd questions and shit. Yeah. Um yeah, whereas Brian Burke, something about him just uh, infuriates me on a very deep level. So, yeah.
0: It, I think it's the, the confidence with which he, he says, like, obviously incorrect things.
1: Yeah, like, Pierre Lebrun was talking about the 3-2-1 point system, which I think, which I like, but people can dislike it. Um, but Burke was like, it's a terrible idea, it has no support. And, you know, he gave his, his reasons, which were kind of nonsense to me. And it's like, that's classic Burke. Like, he can't ever have an opinion where he's not a prick about it. And I know that that's suited his public persona. But it's just like that level of smugness combined with, frankly, the level of failure that he had with the Leafs. It's kind of galling. Who has the stronger Selkie argument between Matthews or Marner this season? Can you see either of them ever winning the award despite the stigma attached to both? Which is Matthews doesn't PK and Marner is a winger. And that's from 123 hands 321 It's a fun name.
0: Right. I, yeah, so I I, I think Matthews, because the defensive stats of Marner and Tavares weren't good to start the year. Mm -hmm. And I think that's way more on Tavares. We've seen defensive weakness from him. But it's very hard to argue for Marner and then say, okay, yeah. Or it's hard to to say, oh yeah, Marner's more defensively impactful than Matthews when Marner away from Matthews was like much worse defensively than Matthews away from Arner and they're playing with like Matthews away from Arner plays with Nylander, who is no one's idea of Marion Hosa.
1: Yeah. I think that that's all valid. Um, I picked Matthews too. Just, he controls the game when he's on the ice. And even when that isn't defense per se, it has defensive impact because if you control it, the other team isn't, I don't think there's any chance really, unless Matthews starts killing penalties. Um, Marner, again, the the trend has gone so hard against wingers at this point. Like, Yuri Ledinan won it 20 years ago, and that was the last one for a winger. I just I don't think it's going to happen, as good as he is. You might get to a point in a kind of a rosy scenario, I guess, where Marner's been really, really good for a long time and hasn't won a lot of individual hardware. And there starts being a campaign behind him just for the sake of we should give something to this really good player. I'm envisioning sort of what happened with the Norris with Drew Doughty, but that's a very specific scenario. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Can you explain the plot and narrative arc of Terry Pratchett's Discworld series in 34 minutes and 59 seconds by Mike Stevens? No. Now, (laughs) Mike was messing with us, and we eventually got to a franchise that I have actually read and or seen, which was Star Wars. And then I thought about it, and I was like, pretty much every guy watching the original movies just wants to be Han Solo. I think that that's like a common thing. Harrison Ford in the '70s was like cool and stuff, and yeah, you know. Um, which of these free agency deals do you sign slash let go, and why? Engvall, three years at two point two five million per. Mikhaev, three years at three point two five million. Kasha, two years at one point five million million that's from Vicepedian. um
0: i'd say that uh i just don't have that much confidence in mikhayev's offense continuing going forward Mm -hmm. and i could be wrong on that i don't think that deal mentioned is a terrible deal and i think he could very well get more than that in the open market but i just i don't feel amazing about that I I guess I I'm just always skeptical about like kind of outlier years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Kasha deal is fine. It's cheap, and he's been good at times this year. The overall play hasn't been that great in towards in the second half of the year. He's been kind of his his shooting is kind of spared his his blushes in in a lot of regards, and it's just you know we expect some level of injuries from him. But though each of those injuries probably makes him like a slightly worse player when he's healthy too. Mm-hmm. So I think you could probably do better.
1: Yeah. That's reasonable. I mean, I like Kasha a lot. And well, was fine, I yeah. should say. Like, all of these deals are pretty well-placed because none certainly none of them are obviously bad. And, and Kasha, I, I still like in terms of the talent. But yeah, there is a question. You know, you're going to lose 20 games, probably to injuries for him. And at, at some point, that's going to start affecting even the games he does play. Maybe it already has. So yeah, I... I think I take Kasha at that level because I think there's still a pretty good chance you get a lot more than 1.5 million out of him, but it's risky. And, and I also do probably let Mikheyev go just because I don't know that he'll keep shooting the lights out. I keep Engvall because I like him a lot as a defensive forward. Mm-hmm. Um, your topic is the power kill. In the form of a question, how has the Leafs power kill changed our lives for the better? It's from Courtney Earle. Um,
0: it's fun yeah i mean i think i think trying handed goals are such a momentum shift because you're like mentally expecting okay there's a reasonable chance we lose a goal here or we give up a goal and then suddenly it's like oh we scored a goal in fact like this is, this is awesome right it's like it's like finding it's finding a 10 dollar bill on the ground mm-hmm. right like it, you're the the surprise and like the expectation the change from expectation is very helpful
1: yeah like it's it's great and I do think that the psychological impact is maybe sometimes more than the actual value. Um, and I like that we can do it, but I don't know how much I would count on it. I mean, it's fine, because the Leafs also have a good penalty kill, per se. Um, mm-hmm. By all means, put McCabe out there, and maybe you put the fear of God into a defense or something, and they make a mistake. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. Thoughts on a 1-16 to playoff format, either using a traditional format or play in with first round buys for the top seeds. Uh, this is from Kono Emo sixteen. I kinda prefer a one eight one eight format. Yeah, I, I do think travel concerns are legit yeah. and you don't want
0: I I wouldn't want a Seattle Tampa round one matchup. Yeah. And you know like, that's just a bit of a pain. Yeah.
1: And time zones are a thing. Like they are And legit. it also
0: like, it's also not just for the players, yeah. But for um it helps for media as well, mm-hmm. and it helps for for ratings, right? Because like you want you don't want Tampa fans to basically not be able to see half the games because they start at ten.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it's one thing when it's the finals and there's only one offering, and you know they usually try to put them all at about eight p.m. anyway. But yeah, I I don't think about uh, a one sixteen. I mean I know it seems fairer. But I think that it's probably a bit too big a lift. I would just say 1-8-1-8. Very simple. No need to overthink it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, from Sabres Kevin, front of the pod, are the Sabres a big rowdy team or the biggest rowdy team? The Sabres are having a fun little run because they've had a little surge in the latter part of the season. It's Obviously, they're not sniffing a playoff spot, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're, there's some optimism in Sabres land again. Um... The biggest thing that this seemed to be referencing is Tage Thompson, who came back in the much maligned Ryan O'Reilly trade, didn't do a whole lot for a couple of years in the NHL, and this year has absolutely exploded. Yeah. Um, One of the craziest developments I've ever seen for a player in terms of a breakout year. Like, it's it's almost like William Carlson-esque.
0: Right, and it seems equally likely that he... Continues it, or he just goes back to, like, maybe he scores, like, 20 goals next year, right?
1: Yeah, like...
0: Like, I, I don't know if this is legit or not.
1: Yeah, I have In, no in the idea. sense of,
0: can we expect him to be a 30-plus goal scorer year on year?
1: Yeah, like, he had 14 points in half a season last year, mm-hmm. which is fine. And this year, he has 37 goals and 67 yes. points. Like, he's playing, like, a real first-line center. Um, the reference to how big and rowdy... Uh, the Sabres are particularly in pitches on Tage because he's six and a half feet tall. Like he's a huge Mm. ass forward. Now he is 24. So he's in that part of the growth curve where sometimes stuff's going to happen and stereotypically big players take longer to find their footing. So maybe he has just kind of figured it out in which case that would be a huge benefit for the Sabres. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, they also have Owen power coming who is himself quite big. And, and
0: I feel like Owen I mean, I'm not, again, not prospect expert, but I feel like Owen Power got, like, underrated
1: somehow. Yeah, it got weird. Like, he, I don't know, it seemed like pretty obvious he was a good player. Yeah, like, he went first overall for a reason. And I don't know if it was just the crazy pandemic year made everyone less confident in the draft or, or what's going mm-hmm. on. But, yeah, I think he's going to be quite good for them. I think you can see the outlines of a Sabres team that ends up being pretty good. It's mm-hmm. not too hard to imagine them contending for the playoffs in a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I think we finally made it to the end of our mailbag. Thank you again to everybody. Wow, that was a lot of questions.
0: It was. Woo! Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is awesome that we can, when we're out of ideas, people <laughs> can give us ideas. It's nice. You people are it Makes great. our lives Thank easier. You. Um, yeah, no, it, it's awesome. It, it's still kind of amazing to us that we have kind of a, a really involved and active um set of listeners who who seem to really you know want our opinion on a variety of things and that that's awesome for us and we're very very grateful for that so yeah thank you to any, anyone who submitted a question thanks to all the listeners you can catch all of mine and Fuderman's stuff at You can of follow us on twitter at rvnatfoolerman we'll see you next week